morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I am Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is King Rem. He is a musician, producer, MC, and film composer. His works include Fly Technique Volume 1 and Lightheaded with Mondo Slade. He has scored nine films, including Acquitted, Maximilian, and Project Die Happy. In this conversation, we talk about his music and his regimented approach to creativity. He talks about his band, Poetic Republic, the band that brought him from Cleveland to New York. We talk about his early experiences with music, how his mom bought him a Cabbage Patch record player and how his grandmother played the organ for the church. He tells me about the process of film composing and how you have to work with directors and hear what they want and to navigate that line of freedom you have when creating something for somebody else. We also briefly discussed his work as the former director of special projects at Harvard University Hip Hop Archives and Research Institute, topics that included cultural anthropology and gender norms. We didn't get deep into them in this conversation, but I, I was really surprised and happy to know that he he had these academic interests that I have as well. So I'm excited to talk to him again on those topics next time. So without further delay, this is a portrait of King Rem. Yes, Poetic Republic. How many members uh, were in that band? So it was a core four members now currently down to core three members. But at certain points, it got up to about eight people, DJ, live horns, uh, you know, full band set up and everything like that. And then myself and uh, my partner, Prime Minister, were the two lead MCs and we were also instrumentalists, too. So we used to do some really interesting, fun shit. (laughs) It was a good time, you know. Wow. What what happened to that? Do uh, do any of the members still operate together or is it just disbanded? It's pretty much uh, on a, a it's been a serious, deep hiatus for a while, just doing different things. And it's just the just core three members. My drummer, uh, As- Asante Allison, he plays with a band now called The Katie. And they're a great band. You should check them out. Uh, the Katie. T-H-E-K-A-T-Y. Great band. And then Prime Minister, he just released a, a so- another solo album like on Juneteenth last week. So oh, I'll shoot you that link too. Yeah, you got to check yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. So everybody's been busy. And then I think these times, now that we're living in, we definitely been talking about, you know, getting back together and doing something <laughs> So it's an interesting time for real. So you uh, left to Brooklyn with uh, these cats to pursue um, a dream in music, I assume. Um, so what, you, what happened? So you guys were going hot for a few years and all of a sudden things kind of, um, cooled down a bit and you just stayed in Brooklyn? Exactly. That's exactly it. I mean, it was going hot touring and, you know, when you're like grassroots touring like that, you know, there's money, you know, and all those things mm. and things not moving as quickly as you think they may be moving <laughs> and creatively. So um, we just kind of disbanded for a time and everybody got caught up doing different things and we're fairly successful doing different things. So it's just really hard to kind of, you know, come back when you, you, you're doing well on your own. So, you know. Yeah, I've heard and I'm in a band myself. I've been a ba- in a band over the years. Uh, I, but the first band I was in was a punk band. We turned into metal, turned into jazz. 
And now I'm sort of in like this, like, uh, I don't know, progressive jazz sort of uh, trippy sounding band. Um, so I have a little experience with that. And uh, I've heard this and I have to agree on some level that being in a band is like having four girlfriends. Oh, my uh, God. You know, <laughs> you know, do you relate to that at all? Man, it's like having a girlfriend, caring for an elderly grandparent, having a pet. And, you know, they're your friends, uh, they're, you know, having to answer to people still as well. You're still responsible to them for your contribution. So it's a lot, man. If it, if it's if it goes well, it is really great. But, you know, it, you know, if there's any kind of, you know, bumps in the road or uh, any kind of trepidation, you know, it can get it can get real sticky real quick, you know. What are some things that people who aren't musicians or who aren't in a band, what, what kind of things um, happen like in that band dynamic that where you might disagree with somebody? Like, what are some of the issues you can think of? Maybe not in that band, but in general, that musicians who are working together have like what kind of issues might come up? Well, you know, I think it's uh, well, first, the first thing that comes to mind is just creatively and then also kind of like your own. Like. Uh, ego, I guess, would be the word. Like, you know, everybody is out to prove themselves as, you know, a worthy contributor of the band. And there's different levels of musicianship and there's different levels of penmanship as far as MCs, which is which is baffling. I'm like, I can't believe the Wu-Tang Clan has you know, <laughs> lasted this long. And largely because they all really, it's true. You know, they believe the same thing and they kind of have the same, you know, personal philosophies, which helps. Right. So. I, I think creatively is like the first thing. Everybody has like their own idea of what the band should be or what the group is and what it should sound like, and what it should look like. And, you know, now that we're grown, the through the remaining core three members, we're like, all right, I know we know how to work in, on our dynamic together, but we're just not in the same place anymore, you know? So, mm. you know, there's a little, you know, retrospect is 2020, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I ask just because the band I'm in now, it's it's a lot of fun, um, but we all have a personality. And I think, you know, it, we've like disbanded, sort of. I've been kicked out, like all this like <laughs> stuff, you know, and yeah. now we're back together, uh, you know, smoking again, you know, just really hitting it. Well, then, of course, Corona kicked in and uh, now we're not. But um, so, I yeah, I, I know that feeling, you know, we all have ideas. We all want to play a part. We <clears throat> we all want to be the best we can be. And, um, you know, for instance, nobody wants to feel like they're the worst member. Nobody wants to feel like they're the exactly. the, the least talented. Um, exactly. And I think feeling feelings get hurt sometimes. Exactly. You know what? I'm going to be real with you, you know, on this podcast right here. You know, I felt like that because they were incredibly talented. Like, you know, Prime Minister, you know, once you listen to this album, I mean, one of the mm. best MCs I've ever heard. Uh, Santi Allison is just one of the most. Uh, creative and musical drummers, uh, just really talented drummers that knows what to do. You know, a lot of drummers have chops, you know, and they get yeah, crazy, yeah. but you know, he's, he's got chops, but I mean, they're just always tasteful. He's such <laughs> a great musician. So I, you know, it was insecure a lot, you know what I mean? I always had a lot to prove. So I don't think I helped in that whirlwind. And it was a lot of drugs and alcohol and women. It was all types of things going on. So, you know. Um, when did you leave Cleveland and how old are you now? So I'm 38. Uh, I left Cleveland at 20, we were 25. We were wow. all different ages, but I was 25. Yeah, 25. So yeah, I'm 38 now. 
Um, so I've been in New York since. I took a, a brief reprieve in Chicago f- uh, for like a year and a oh, half. Oh, wow. But, but uh, you know, back in New York, you know. For... What was the Chicago stint about? Was it a woman or was it a job? Why were you there? Oh, yeah, it was a, a relationship. And I think most mostly it was just like that was around a time where the band was like kind of dissolving. So mm. it was just like, you know, new scenery, uh, kind of a perceived new start. Uh, the relationship part obviously didn't go well, but uh, the mind clearing did. And it, it helped me get refocused oh, wow. and, you know, know that, you know, music is my paramount. This is this is who I am. This is what I do. So, mm. you know, definitely helped me refocus at least. So it was valuable for that reason. And uh, Chicago's a cool town, too. So. <laughs> How how what's the drive from uh, Cleveland to New York? Because I, I, I my geography is slipping me here. How, how far is it? Oh man, um, I've done that drive. I want to say no less than a hundred times. <laughs> wow! So I, we know. Matter of fact, we have a tour van sitting on the Snowshoe Pennsylvania exit right now. As we speak. <laughs> I think I think it's today, but uh, I want to wow. say it's uh, about it's about seven hours. Oh, that's not bad. No, that's not bad. Yeah. You could do that in a shift, you know, get dinner in the middle and uh, yeah, be there in yeah. one day. So, uh, you know, you're obviously a musician. You uh, you make you sample and you do all these musical things. When did that interest start for you? Just in general, were you a kid and your you know, your uncle showed you a record? You know, what's the story to your interest in music? Oh, man, um, that that uh, it would go back to my mother. Really, she bought me a. Um, I think she still has a picture as a, ca- a Cabbage Patch record player. <laughs> well, she, that she got secondhand. It was like green and beige. And um, I think it was like a wow. 80s toy. I was born in 82. So, uh, man, she bought me and a bunch of vinyls. Fat Boys, Rappin' Duke, <laughs> um, New Edition, of course, uh, Thriller, Purple Rain. And some wow. obsessive Super Prince fans. So that started it right there. And then I was just... You know, I, I was so I've never I've never not been interested in music. And, you know, anytime, you know, we had like a little sh- shitty uh, karaoke machine. I was, <laughs> you know, I was always doing something with it. So that's it's been really my whole life since I could like walk, you know, I believe. It sounds like uh, your mother was sort of a, she, she liked music, too, it sounds like. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and a lot, a big part of my musical upbringing is from the church. So it's the Pentecostal church, sweaty ghetto, you know, wow. Hood church. So, you know, that was always a, a struggle. I think with my mother too, with like the secular music thing. And so when she was a young single mother, she just let the radio play. So I just mm. remember like growing up, liking all these songs. So like these, these 80 songs that were like these big hits, <laughs> You know, like the cars and shit and the police, yeah. and, uh, Thompson Twins and all that. Like, I like that music because she just let the radio <laughs> play, whatever, you know. Yeah. Do you get, uh, do you have a strong sense of nostalgia when you hear some of those songs now? Does it take you back to that decade? Oh, man, for sure. I mean, it, it you know, we we watched the... Uh, it's like MTV, uh, I love the 80s thing, but they just play all 80s videos, man. You know, you just let it run for two hours. And it's <laughs> cool. It's cool to see visually what they were doing, too. Uh, Gary Newman and, mm. uh, you know, Flock of Seagulls and all them and the early rap videos. Yeah, and, MTV. Yeah, when they used to play uh, videos, uh, you know, like kind of, yeah, you said. 
Have you ever studied music formally or has this just been your life path? Yeah, man. I, um, so from my upbringing, like growing up in a church, I, uh, was in the marching band. I was like a, a band geek. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah. I played a couple, I played trumpet. I started with trumpet. I did trombone for a couple of years and then went back to, uh, trumpet. Um, so yeah, I was in marching band the whole, uh, <laughs> my whole school life from like, it was like sixth grade, fifth grade, all the way through my, my first year of college. Um, so you, you even pursued some music in college. Was that before you knew your major or, uh, yeah. What, what's the deal with that? Yeah. So I just played that, that the first year of college, just, you know, as something, uh, to do. I wasn't, I wasn't really interested in pursuing like a, uh, like a ensemble, you know, mm. uh, horn section, uh, situation. I think in my, my early teens, I knew the hip hop was the way to go, but you know, I liked band and I liked uh being in like, you know, concert band and all that. It really gave me a good uh theoretical like foundation with music. But early in our teens we knew that like, you know, we were B boys and we make beats and this is we write rhymes and this is who we are. But you know, I still I still I don't know why I thought that being in band was still valuable and it proved to be Oh yeah. It definitely proved to be, you know, so yeah. So you um, like, for instance, would you know, um, do you have any experience on a keyboard? Like, well, oh, or I bet you do because you make beats and stuff. You, yeah. Do you know a little on the keyboard? Yeah, exactly. So then that lot, that mostly comes from uh, the church. My grandmother was a church organist. So, you know, you get the organ and drums and stuff from church and then uh, picked up guitar and bass later in my 20s. Um, again, being like a Prince and Curtis Mayfield type cat. And then um, you know, keys, you just, you know, we pretty much taught ourselves to play keyboards because we couldn't afford samplers. So mm. we were trying to play what Pete Rock and RZA and Jim Hill were <laughs> sampling, yeah. which, are, right, so that's jazz, so you, like, augment your chords. You know, to play, like, triads, but that's not quite it, so you augment your chords, and you're really, even though we didn't know it, we're playing jazz chords, and that laid a foundation for us to be you know, at least proficient uh, keyboard players and, and piano players. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I I took a theory class in in uh, at community college. I failed it the first time. Took it again, got an A. Then wow. did the next class, um, which was called diatonic harmony. Failed it, right. and then failed it again. Um, but but that <laughs> for that one that one class that I did pass that foundations class, I learned scales chords notes on a staff notes on the key you know i all that foundational stuff has made everything better and easier for since then like in all of in the bands i've been in we you know if my buddies tell you know i ask him what chord is that he tells me uh c sharp diminished i can find it on the keyboard and uh that foundational knowledge is so helpful um, even for something, you know, of course I respect beat making and rap, but someone might not think that's, you know, knowledge based when really, you know, like you said, it, it, it helps. Right. Absolutely. And you know what? I was just, I was, you know, that your journey is interesting. So I was just remarking to a friend that it's all connected, you know? So mm. when you're making beats and I said, you know, beat making is more like, to me, it's like being more of a cook because you're selecting ingredients. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, you're, yeah, yeah. You're applying, you're applying musical ideas, but 
you're really selecting ingredients because case in point, you know, growing up in church and having this uh, interest in hip hop, you know, you would get like clown, like, you know, these guys in church got these chops and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, you know, when you hear their production, it's like, oh, that's trash. I mean, you're a great musician, but, you know, you're not that'll make you a great producer. You know what I'm saying? So, right, right. You, you need to select certain tastes and, you know, match frequencies and, you know, reasoning and like, you know, just pitching up a sample changes the whole mood. You know what I'm saying? Like those types of yeah, yeah. decisions, you know, are equally as intellectual, maybe not as musically, uh, you know, proficient or, you know, so much musical technical facility, so to speak. So you said that, uh, were you always a churchgoer when you were like really young? What what years were you going to this church where your grandma's playing the organ and you're hearing all this uh, gospel? Uh, what years was that? This was, uh, man, from birth all the way through like my early 20s, really, really up until, uh, you know, I moved to New York, really. Um, I my cousin, wow. she's a great drummer, you know, so um, it was a really great musical atmosphere, mm. just some really, really great players. And, you know, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, so there's a lot of great just musicians that, uh, you know, couple guys playing with this person in this major act so it's, it's a very musical town a lot of talent and uh and the, the the picture i'm getting from these uh the church and the the atmosphere you're describing um i get that i would imagine there was a lot of passion too so yeah you learned and were exposed to music but i would guess that you were also exposed to musical passion too right musical passion showmanship uh, you know, there's like ebbs and flows and things like that. And of course it's boring as a child, but like looking <laughs> back, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, yeah. just, just even just that core blues and, you know, uh, you know, just. Oh yeah. All yeah. That knowledge. Yeah. Just applying all that knowledge and call and response and stuff like that. It, it was all there for sure. Yeah. I, I have a lot of respect. I don't like listen to gospel every day, but anytime I hear any gospel, I mean, you're hearing those seventh chords in the background. Right. Uh, you know, how, I like my uncle's a pastor and I've watched a lot of his videos and I've been to church plenty of times where he uh, preached. But uh, it, it's always amazing to me every time when there's a keyboard player in the back and a bass player, maybe guitar, they're playing something softly for such a long. It's like the same progression over and over. But the musicianship and and the the passion it's it's so great that you just appreciate the same four chords over and over and over because of how beautifully it's arranged. Right, it's arranged like you said, it's arranged beautifully. Then there's a build too, you know, and it, mm. you know it kind of plays back and forth with you know you know your emotions too. So it's a, it's a real powerful thing uh, going on there, and it definitely informed a lot of uh, the live show uh, experience that we mm. had going on. Mm. Sure. Oh, that, that's, that's so awesome. I, I would venture to guess that uh, spectators at the shows, maybe subconsciously, if not consciously, felt like they were at church. Like I've been in concerts like that where that it's that same energy um, and, and that's always impressive. It's something that you don't forget. Um, OK, so you've you've done a lot of work. Um, I, I listened to three albums that you that you were on. I listened to uh, Mondo Slade, Lightheaded. And Fly Technique Volume One, and I listened to the Good Fight uh, for for Cloak and uh, Dagger. What was your role in in those three albums? So I, I fully produced Lightheaded. Uh, I think except for one track that uh, my partner Prime Minister produced, um, and I produced all of Fly Technique. 
And then uh, I produced half of Cloak and Dagger. Prime Minister produced the other half. Wow. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, we worked real close with Mondo Slay, man. He's an uh, MC that grew up with us and uh, in Cleveland with us and went to high school with us. And, um, you know, Cle- Cleveland wasn't like a big, uh, from my view, wasn't a big like soul boom bat town. So when you find like like minded mm. you know, music heads, you really, really connect. He was like one of the few in school that like, you know, love tribe and love woo and, you know, all that. Yeah, yeah. So you say, uh, I get the feeling that when you say produced, uh, I get the feeling that that means a lot of different things. So when you say you produce these, let's just say in general, I know that a prime minister worked on this, but in general, the, the stuff you produced, what does that mean? Does that mean you were making the beats, you're mixing and mastering, you're putting the polish on it? Yeah. What does producing mean? So in that, in that, that is a great question. So in that context, it means all of that. Um, which I actually don't like to mix and master. Uh, it's kind of like editing your own book. <laughs> I've, I've heard that and I, and I don't get it because I don't do either of that. So right. my buddy who has like a studio, he doesn't like to master. He, you know, he has all the equipment to record. He mixes, but for some reason he doesn't like or have the desire to master. Uh, can you, yeah. Tell me about that. I, I, I just don't understand. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it's like, well, if you've were involved in producing a project or whatever, and you, or taking on taking on the mixing responsibilities, it's like uh, I don't know. You're too married to it. You know what I'm saying. So even you know mastering is just like I'm finding uh, the binding thread, you know, frequencies mm. of EQs, compression to make this cohesive and digestible. You know, right? And you can't do that if you are like in bed with it, so to speak. You know, it's like. <laughs> delivering your wife's baby you know you might be talented enough to do that but it's like you know yeah i really would love um like a good analogy like what you made me think of just now was i think of for instance a neighbor uh in my complex um is a a maid for lack of better words she's a maid uh-huh. but um and i whisper i whisper this she's a few houses over i whisper this but um you know, her place isn't very nice or clean. So, (laughs) so, so even though that's what she does, her own thing isn't, you know, so I just think I'm 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 sure that's not a good parallel, but I'm trying to understand this, this feeling, you know, what they say, you know, the plumber has the worst plumbing, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. But then that, in that context with, with Mondo Slade, I, I, I played all those roles. So we, you know, conceived it, uh, I, made, I made the beats. Uh, wow! All the did you make all the beats for those three albums I mentioned? Yeah, yeah. For Fly Technique, made all of them. For Lightheaded, made all but one, and then for Cloak and Dagger, made half of them. So four. Wow! And that's not even everything you've done. I I figure you've been on other. Have you been like had guest spots and? And other albums you've uh, worked on, other than those? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My disc, my, my discography, you know, to be an underground hip hop producer is 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 reasonable. I just gave you a few highlights. Yeah, yeah. Some- yeah, oh yeah, they were good too. I I I almost listened to all three completely. Uh, I didn't finish Fly Technique. Oh yeah, by the way, Fly Technique Volume One with um, Mondo Slade. That intro is very interesting. Where it's like a phone call. With yeah. I think it with Slade. What what's going on? What's the context of that intro, and, or more specifically, that phone call? That well, that phone call. So you know, like I said, he was a high school friend. 
you know, he moves to Atlanta, we moved to New York, but you know, we always stay connected and he was always doing music. And uh, you know, he just came to a point, it's like, yo, man, let's let's get together. And this was really again, uh kind of going back to the point where I moved to Chicago. This was at that point, you know, so it was like a lot mm-hmm. happening and poetics kind of cooling off. So I was like, yo, let's let's do something. But then he gets caught up, you know, has to, you know, go sit down for a while, you know, do some time. So he's actually making that phone call. Uh, you know, from being locked up. Wow. So, yeah. So he's going to turn himself in. And, uh, you know, so that put a little wrench in the plans. But, you know, from that point, you know, I was making those beats and like kind of conceiving. But I think he would dig and mm. he was writing every day in there. So when he came out, we just laid it. <laughs> Boom. You know? Wow. I, it's such a it's such an interesting um, because what it is, it's not really a phone call. Right. Is it a message he left for you? It's a it's a voicemail message. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's it's really funny because he's mentioning like about the work he wants to do with you. It, you know, you get the impression that you guys were talking about it previously. And it's funny because he actually says the the record's name. He says, I don't know, we need some fly, you know, some some with fly technique or something like that. Um, do, do you think he purposefully planted that do you think he had that idea in his head to call it fly technique or do you think it was really just off the tongue off the dome i think it was just something he just because he throws out ideas like that a lot just to see what (laughs) sticks you know so he he's a stream of consciousness type cat so you know he'll be you know he's a he's a great storyteller so he'll be telling stories and he'll stop and (laughs) jot something down so I think it came just from like a stream of consciousness, really, if, if I was to guess, you know, and I, I got that voicemail message and I was pissed that I, was, that I missed this call. But, you know, of course, I couldn't call him back. And it was like, wow, you know, oh, so yeah. I, I didn't know the next time I was going to hear from him. So I was like, All right, you know what? I'm start producing wow. specifically for Slade. And, you know, we're going to make this happen. Uh, was the, that song, I, th- I believe it's titled just intro. Was that the first of the series or had you done a few of those beats in the middle already and you just created this for the intro or, you know, yeah, I guess, where did this intro get written Uh, at the beginning uh, in the middle? Well, you know, we had actually finished the record and I was like, you know, I still got that voicemail message you left. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I had like saved it and like, you know, exported it. I think, you know, you know, you can export it or whatever and uh, save it as a voice memo or something like that. So I had saved it. And I was like, man, I think we should put that as an intro. I have a beat, you know, that I think would, you know, be like an intro type beat that I like, but I don't think it's strong enough for a song. And uh, yeah, and, I just, and if you listen close, man, there's like, you know, a newscaster talking about the, the 86 Browns mm. in the background and all types of things. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I just really wanted to paint that atmosphere with who we are from Cleveland wow. and basically how this whole shit got started. You know, damn, no kidding. Uh, yeah, so so this is a, a, a homie from Cleveland, Cleveland. You met him originally and you guys went your separate ways and you well, you're in different cities. Uh, so like an artist like that, I know he's good friends with you, an artist like that and even uh, Slade and um, how much influence are they having on the beats? Are they just putting faith in you and they just like what you do and you get to just you know hit hit the keyboard any way you like? Uh, how much influence do these artists have on what you do? Well, yeah, I mean, with 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 with, with, with Mondo Slay, and I would even say Prime Minister um, this is another great MC that I work with. Yao G's, um, Sid Vicious, who's the other half of Cloak and Dagger. Yes, yes, yeah, you know, this is great MCs. Uh, I would say with Mondo Slate specifically, 
And he, I think even with Yao G's, they they are very clear on what they do not like, which is <laughs> which is actually refreshing. So it's not like I'm operating with impunity, like you know what I mean. Like yes, there, yeah. there is a a quality check, and there is some thought that goes into it. And, you know, it could be a real. I won't even say it's not a waste. It's never a waste to create, but it could be a real kind of exercise of futility to kind of mm-hmm. say I'm producing this for you, and you're going to like it the way it is. You know, honestly. I think over the last year, I don't think Mondo Slate has liked anything that I've sent them or thought that will work. Uh, wow. To be honest. Yeah. You know, so we've been working together for some time. So I was like, OK, let me regroup and mm-hmm. figure out what is, where this cat is at. I think we need to sit in the studio together and, and, and figure something out, you know. And so you so, for instance, I just listened to I don't know, maybe it's like around 30 songs. I've, I've heard 30, let's say, of the things uh, that you've done musically um in terms of beats and the raps on the the records we talked about uh that's a lot of ideas do you get the sense that you're like an endless uh pitcher of like iced tea you know you're just never going to run out of ideas do you get that feeling man you know what i hate to say it but i really you know you don't want to say it but you know i'm very thankful to god that i'm i'm able to feel like that because i really do like for the movie Mm. You know, so for film composing, and I don't know if you listen to any of those cues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. That uh, So that movie I wrote about, man, two, two and a half hours worth of music for 88 minutes. So a lot of that got cut. Wow. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm thankful. You know, I'm, I'm very self-aware, too. I'm not the most talented musician, but for what. I have to work with and make the most of it and uh, try to be efficient, organized. And, uh, you know, so I have a very tight schedule on producing and practicing and, you know, so I'm always ready for whatever. So I like to think that I'm an endless well, you know, of, of uh, production capability. Do you, uh, there, there's this um, way that people, some people think about their, about being creative and, and, there's this view of creativity that uh, the professional works every day. They, they get up at a certain time. They work a certain amount of hours. They're always working. They don't, I guess what I'm saying is they don't wait for inspiration to strike. Do you feel that you're often waiting for inspiration to strike? Or do you feel like that professional who just does it no matter what? Man, I am the most, I am among the most regimented. I would think (laughs) I would be willing to bet. Uh, (laughs) And it's uh, Questlove spoke about Jay Dilla and Pharrell. He said that um, they're among the, and, and I know I heard Prince was like this too. They like to keep business hours. So like Jay Dilla will wake up, you know, start making beats for eight hours and, you know, then stop. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that is exactly how I am. I wake up, you know, tune up or whatever I'm going to do, prepare for whatever I'm going to do, go through records whatever. And then I work. And then in the evening, I'm able, you know, to read or, you know, pursue other things. But yeah, I prefer to operate on like a business schedule, like a professional. What's the, uh, you know, I like to ask these silly questions, but uh, what's the benefit to that? What's, or actually what's the opposite of that? What do other people do who aren't regimented like that? What, what's the, Thing that they're miss or not not the thing they're missing, but what are the missteps they're making? If it is well, maybe is is that another way of operation? 
So I, think, well, I would say it's another way of operation. For me, it would be a misstep because, like I said, I'm just real self-aware. So I know that I need repetition and attrition and like routine in order mm-hmm. to see if I'm getting better at something or, you know, has my work been stale or do I need to, you know, pursue something different? And I notice, you know, I would, I would look at my work over, let's say, three days and say, man, all my temples are from 85 to 93. So for these next three days, I'm really push myself to, uh, you know, s- you know, slow it down to like the 70s mm-hmm. to like a ballad or, you know, speed it up to something more energetic. And th- and then also see if, you know, aesthetically, I can make it more energetic, you know, slower or, you know, just really challenge myself with what I'm doing. Are you uh, the kind of person that's uh, always thinking about music? So and in, in what I mean is so you're. I don't know how you get to work. Let's just say you walk to work, you drive. Well, if you're driving, you're probably listening to something. But when you're in a place where you don't have headphones, are you, are you still thinking of music sometimes? Or is it always purely in the real world with your hands that you uh, hear and make music? Man, 24-7, always. Uh, my, head is in, <laughs> my head is in this shit, bro. Like, I'm always watching, <laughs> always watching tutorials. You know, with the technology nowadays, you can never know yeah, yeah. about your software and your equipment. Uh, I'm always watching like, you know, live Tower of Power videos and Curtis Mayfield and Funkadelic shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking up bass tabs and guitar tabs and like, oh, that'd be a cool song to learn. Whatever. There's nothing. I don't do anything else except I pay attention to Cleveland sports. Mm. And, you know, I read. But other than that, my life doesn't involve. Else. <laughs> I don't cook. <laughs> you know, I don't. <laughs> none of that. So, yeah, I don't care about clothes, anything. It's just, that's it. Music. Yeah, I um, I find myself thinking about music a lot. I'll get a melody and uh, in the shower or I usually sing in the shower, but I'll, I'll get a melody somewhere. And sometimes I'll get like a fragment of a song I've heard maybe once in my life and I'm, and I'm trying to determine who it is. Like, um, and it's like the worst tragedy that I can't name and find the song I'm thinking of. Um, but, uh, I'll, I'll get caught by like a commercial, like when a, when a crappy commercial has like really great music, yeah. uh, I'll, you know, I'll peek, peek my ear in, you know, look over like, Oh, what is that? Exactly. Uh, that, I, I love that. I'll, I'll like run into the living room. Uh, my wife's watching something. I'm like, what is that? And it's a commercial. <laughs> with like a dope ass song. Right, right. Um, so you've uh, you've composed music for uh, for films. I've I watched a few. I watched um, three shorts that you were involved in. Um, it was called one was called Acquitted, one was called Maximilian, and then one was called uh, Project Die Happy. And I believe it was the same creator, uh, Keith Collins the second. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the director. Yeah. And how do you get tied up with a guy like that? Is that a guy you know? Does he reach out to you? It seems like you have a working relationship with uh, Collins. Yeah, so Keith Collins, um, Chinese Scott, those are a couple of directors that I'm pretty tight with that uh, I've done some work for. But Keith in particular, he when I had the idea that I may want to get into film composing, he is another guy that went to high school with us as well. So you know, he was doing this like weird shit in high school, like <laughs> filming stuff in like the like in the gym, like the gym teachers would like be like, all right, just don't nobody get killed. And he would like choreograph fights <laughs> and, and film it with. 
And he was just so talented with like what he could do. So, you know, we just stayed in contact over the years. And, uh, you know, he he really uh, uh, showed a lot of support for Poetic Republic. So at a time when that started to, you know, kind of die down a little bit, I reached out to him and was like, look, man, if you, you know, if you're working on something, man, I think I want to get into film scoring. And he shot me a scene and was like, yo, try something. <laughs> boom. He, he dug it, um, gave me, you know, his ideas, his vision. And, you know, we established a working relationship there. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a pleasure to work with. And that's a guy that, like, really knows what he's doing. And I really like people like that. Like, what their craft is, <laughs> they are in it and they are on it. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. And, uh you know, they did Maximilian with a very, very limited budget, and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of just ingenuity and uh, it turned out real good. So uh, you, you mentioned how he shot you a scene and you you tried it out. So since you kind of dipped your toe in and you went on to do uh, shorts and and uh, other film work, um, did from that point on, did, were you just being given like a finished film, basically, that was missing music or were you, were you getting and still get like scenes at a time. So yeah, how you described it is pretty much how it is. It's it's either or a lot of the time. So uh, I know from Keith, I've gotten both. I've gotten finished piece and scenes. You know, I prefer obviously uh, a finished piece, you know, cause you can just yeah, yeah. kind of write the music and, you know, um, if there's any changes, it would be kind of easier to uh, institute your changes rather than, breaking it up by by scene because that that timing might be off oh yeah yeah from a particular transition but uh yeah you know i just kind of got to be flexible and uh you know tell them what i prefer any director uh but uh it it is is usually based on the you know the deadline and the budget and things like that and if they have to turn something in you know for proof of concept so it can go either way yeah yeah. So uh, is there, I, I imagine this must be the case, or at least when you were first starting to work and like learn about Keith's process, I imagine were there times where, you know, you shot him something, he shot it back. You shot it, you shot some, something new to him, he shot it back. Or even, you know, hey, can you tweak this? Yeah, you tweak it, you send it back. Oh, hey, but can you tweak this now? You know, was there ever like a back and forth a tennis match sort of feeling with working with these filmmakers in terms of your role? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, with Keith, um, not so much uh, with Chinese to Scott. I mean, I think we went back and forth a little bit, but during Maximilian with Keith, um, the main, there was a scene where uh, the guy, I forgot his name, was the, the gun glove master. He has guns on his gloves, you know, pretty cool uh, mm-hmm. little quirk for a villain. But uh, that scene, we just could not get. We just had different <laughs> ideas on how it how it should go. And you know, once we settled on, you know, what we're going to go with, you know, looking back, you know, it was the right decision. But uh, that was a, that was a huge volley. Uh, and a lot of times it was just like changing tempos, uh, playing up thematic elements and things like that. So, you know, there's like a lot of psychology there, too, to really be a <laughs> listener and like to see what they're really saying. Like you may not even mm. have to change the music. You may have to add a reverb or actually just turn it down or and make it more ambient or maybe accented a little more. So, you know. So what was your, for, you know, for a lack of better words, education on film scoring, you know, did you watch, you know, Tarantino movie, you know, what, what were you doing to sort of see where music would hit 
and what style, like what styles there were out there? Did you just watch movies? Uh, yeah. You know, what was your education like, even if it, your own education that you created yourself? Well, that that basically started the way production started. So the way I look at like RZA and like Jay Dillon and, and like Pete Rock, you know, I had to look at Ennio Marconi and um, Nicholas Bertel and um, Alexander Desplat and Hans Zimmer and stuff like that, you know, look at those guys and say, mm. you know, I don't want to necessarily do what they do because, you know, there's a lot of film composers and you'll see like one of your favorite pop producers do a movie, you know, yeah, so yeah. That jump can be done, but I also want to be able to write orchestration. So I had to like get on YouTube and, you know, just look up videos on like really how to write orchestration or write for, uh, you know, stacked string sections and horn sections. And then also just listening and recording. And to me, and I was telling a, a friend that I was thinking about getting into it, who was super talented. And I was saying that. The first, the first step for me was like, you just really have to love movies. Like just the idea of a movie, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just during this quarantine, you know, I was just going through this thing of uh, watching 90s action flicks and then hearing, <laughs> right? So then the hearing yeah. the composition uh, and the composing in 90s action flicks versus now is completely different. So I'm just paying attention to it more you know, analyzing those orchestrations and emulating them in my, in my own ways, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, I'm always interested in like how much the director, uh, know how much they know of what they want. Like I, I saw a Stanley Kubrick, uh, documentary recently and he always had a record player on set, had like, you know, a bunch of records on hand and he would think of what he wanted and just play these records all day during, a you know, on, on set. So it's interesting um, uh, from the filmmaking standpoint, like how important music is. And as the film composer, you have to have that perspective, too. You have to also know how important the style and the music is and uh, what the part that you're um, putting in. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're actually a film, um, I guess, a film buff yourself. I mean, I guess you have to be if you're composing for film. Yeah, man, you, just, you really have to love movies. And uh, I did work at Blockbuster as a, <laughs> in my late teens. Uh, so my employee section, uh, my employee rental section was, was pretty lit, man. I was, I was a wow. self-professed film buff uh, around that. Yeah, time. yeah. That's like a, you know, that's a, that was Tarantino's education, working at the movie store. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Have you, um, have you ever had the chance to to go to a premiere where your music was featured in the movie? Yeah, there was a couple of shorts that I missed that, that are not on my uh, IMDb, but I did go to the Maximilian premiere and it was actually in our hometown of Cleveland. So that was, Oh wow. That was a good, that was a, a, a real good time, man, just to see your music on screen. And um, the biggest compliment I got was that I really didn't get any compliments. <laughs> uh, Cause you know, Oh, which is great because, you know, if, if people notice, then, uh, you know, you didn't do a good job. You know, I think the music in a movie and the, the underlying compositions should be like an actor. You know what I mean? Like if you're overacting. You know, right. So, you know what I mean? So that was great. No one said anything. And it was like, that's fine because it just played like a movie. You know, you would notice if it was terrible, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and but the, what's funny is that you're also um, you also have experience with mixing and and I imagine you know about mastering too and music production. Are you sitting there at the at a premiere listening to your own stuff, noticing things, or are you content and satisfied and it's as good as it could possibly be? Yeah, I uh, I learned in my, my musical life, man. And now that we're doing this interview, is like pretty varied. Uh, uh, Prime and I, we worked at a, a studio in Cleveland called 3D Studios. This was like in 2003. So, I mean, we're super young. And uh, it's like, it was just like a, a normal hood studio, just rappers coming in, singers coming in. And we were selling beats. And a lesson that I took from the studio owner was never get married to anything. Like, you know, sell it, create it, you know, place it and do the best you can with it and let it go and move on. And I thought that was a really great lesson. Like that guy had a lot of faults, but that one gym <laughs> that he gave me really serviced me greatly. Uh, you know, once it's over, I'm just, it, it is what it is. I, I know I'm a perfectionist in the moment. And once I deliver it, we're done, you know, and I'm, I'm happy with it. If I'm not happy, yeah. with it, you're not getting it, you know? Yeah, that that reminds me of this uh, prosecutor. I was obsessed with this court case from a few years ago, from like ten, no, twelve years ago. But the prosecutor was just a uh, magnificent, the bet, the, the best. It was uh, a case of the century in my head. Uh, but anyways, this prosecutor has that same mentality. You know, they, he's asked in interviews, uh, "How do you wish this would have turned out? Are you satisfied with the verdict? Are you satisfied with X, Y, and Z?" And uh, and with your job. And and he says, you know, it doesn't do me any good to to ruminate on what's been decided, you know, what's been done. I'm looking towards tomorrow. Um, and you can imagine the rest. Uh, what's the right. benefit to that? You're, you're calling it a gem that you learned from this uh, studio owner. What's what's the knowledge and what's the intent behind that? Well, for me, it's just not, you know, I tend to, again, being self-aware and I'm getting better at it. I used to like really hang on to things. So I knew that the one thing that I control in life was music. And that should be, that should be the one thing that I should be confident enough to know that it is good. It's been accepted, you know, so two part I've submitted and it's been accepted. So it's already going through a two point quality check right there. Mm. Right. And that it's in the hands of the universe at that point, you know, yeah. And I can free myself and move on, you know. But a part of that for me was A, being early, you know. So I like to beat deadlines, being efficient uh, and really, you know, pushing it to 10 and, and doing all I can with it. You know, if I got to stay up late, you know, during the Maximilian times, you know, I was, there were some some 12 hour days. You know, I like to keep business wow. hours, but. You know, there was definitely some 12 hour days and just playing the same thing over and over again. So, you know, I know that I put the time in, so I'm, I'm pretty confident in it and it's out there and, you know, let's move on, you know. So you've you've accomplished a lot. You um, you there's records that you put out. You've been you've had your music in uh, films um, the, all these experiences that you've had w on the road and working with uh, buddies of yours. What, what are your eyes set on now? What What are you working on now? And uh, yeah, you got anything on the uh, on the stove? Well, uh, one thing I did in the past that I really enjoyed. I was uh, 
special projects director at the uh, Harvard Hip Hop Archives and Research Institute. So I really enjoyed the uh, the kind of like intellectual breakdown uh, of music and you know kind of interjecting my own experiences plus just my study of music. So like we talked about earlier, you know, my head is just always in the music. So I'm kind of dipping my toes back into that uh, realm. I just did a symposium on Prince with uh, uh, New York University and Professor Wow. Yeah, so that was great, and I really liked it. That, <laughs> wow. uh, that, that sounds uh, highly academic. I mean, is that <laughs> is that in academia, or am I imagining that? You, you say yeah. Harvard University, and well, actually, I'm not even sure what, what you're talking about. What What is it? So you said special director at the Harvard University, um, the Archives and Research, and then you said you did a symposium on Prince just recently. Yeah. P- paint the picture. I'm not, I'm not sure that I know exactly what that kind of work is. So with with the hip hop archives at Harvard, that that kind of work was um, a lot of research work and really trying to th- their mission then while I was there was really trying to be a conduit uh, to the intellectual community that may not be completely aware of like the you know just the true foundation and in, uh, intellectual pursuit of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Like we can sit, you know, people that love hip hop can sit and break down lyrics all day. That's, you know, all we do in a barbershop and yeah, yeah. And smoke and talking shit, but <laughs> we really do that on an intellectual level uh, to tie it in with uh, cultural anthropology and history and politics mm. and gender and those things like that. And really, uh, you know, present it in a way that it can be beneficial to people that may not be everyday listeners. You know, that was the mission then. Uh, with this recent print symposium, uh, we took a look at Dirty Minds, uh, 40 Years of Dirty Mind. It came out 40 years ago. Wow. Uh, and just really took a look at, you know, this Prince being this trailblazer, just a figure in black masculinity while challenging these kind of like uh, gender norms and stereotypes and things like that. So, you know, it's a lot of research that goes into it, but you're, you're also interjecting your own experiences and uh, really seeing how how a particular piece influenced, you know, other people completely differently. So that stuff was always a thrill. And I, I really enjoy that, that part of it. Wow. Uh, you know what we're going to have to do? I, and I hope you're interested. So um, I, I got just a couple more questions for now. I think it would be yeah. great. It would be so great to talk again um, about all those issues that you just mentioned, everything you just said about Prince and the, and gender and cultural anthropology. Uh, I'd love to have, um, a conversation geared toward those, um, those, those areas. Um, that, that's awesome. I, 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 I love that. I, I think that's another hour of talking that we could do on those oh, subjects for sh- alone. For sure, man. Sign me up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so, you know, I got just two more questions just for now. I think this, is, this was a great introductory conversation. We can dive a little deeper on some of those topics, um, soon. Yeah. Um, so, so what are your dreams in this life? You know, I, you've accomplished all these things already. Uh, you know, what are the, what are some things you hope to accomplish, um, from today on? Man, uh, well, you know, a, you know, just waking up every day, you know, always got to thank the most high for that. Uh, so that's step one. Uh, my dreams really are just being the absolute best I can be. And I know that's among the best that the, the ever did it truly just the, mm. my work ethic, you know, my talent may not be as great as some that are naturally gifted, but I'm always self-aware. I always know uh, my limitations and I know how I can push them. 
you know, so as long as I keep that burning and just really always continue to love and enjoy it, you know, I know I'm going to be uh, in the driver's seat with it, you know, and that that's really my dream, man. I made solace with that years ago, just to always wake up and be the best uh, that I could be. You know, I've been distracted. I've gotten off course years ago and I didn't like that feeling. Ever since then, I haven't been off course a day. I'm always in the studio. I'm always, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm always pedal, pedal to the floor with it. So and that that's my dream is just to keep that up and push it as far as it can go. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's a, that, 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 that's a, as they say, a real talk. The real talk, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so just for now, I got one more question for you. Um, you can answer it any way you like. Yeah. King Rem, who the hell are you? King Rem, producer, musician, MC, composer, Cleveland, Ohio. Always, always truthful. Always an open book. Always honest. Always looking to be better, trying to be more compassionate, uh, trying to be more empathetic, more understanding, braver. And, yo, that's it for right now. <laughs> <laughs>